0: Amen. If you have a Bible, please open with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're coming really, I think the best way to describe this is to the end of the end of Peter's epistle. Um, any good Baptist preacher loves a long summary. And Peter gives us a summary with a lot of, a lot of meat. We've really been in the summary for, for a full chapter already, and there's still Time left to go. And so we come to the end of the end of Peter's epistle. Um, we're looking at verses 5 through 9 this morning of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Um, these are his final exhortations to this beloved group of churches, these beloved saints to whom he writes. And in his final exhortations, he has two primary themes. We'll look at one this week and one next week, Lord willing. Today, He he looks at the idea, exhorts the idea of sober humility. Sober humility. So we come, and and Peter has these last things to say. He, He sums up all of his letter, and he really has these two instructions submit to the Lord and press on in the faith. Humbly submit your life to the Lord and press on and remain and walk in the victory that Christ has won. So today we look at the idea of humility. Humility, if you will, please stand with me as we prepare to read God's Word. We'll read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 9, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. This is the holy and inerrant and inspired Word of God says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This is the word of of God. May he write it upon our hearts. You may be seated. Now, please join me and let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father, we come and Lord, we ask for humble hearts. You are exalted, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are Exalted to the highest place. You have the name which is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, Lord, as you command us, your people, to be humble, Lord, it's not hard to see and understand why. Because you are exalted and we are not. You're greatly to be praised. And we are unworthy of any praise. You are perfect and just and righteous. We are sinful and unrighteous and wicked. But for Christ. But for Christ. Lord, we thank you that in your rich and abounding and steadfast love that you have made us alive together with Christ. While there is nothing lovely in us, While there was no good thing in us, you breathed life into dead souls, you accepted the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, you credited his righteousness to our account, and you adopted us. You've made us your own. We were a people wandering and lost. And without a shepherd, now we are sheep of the chief shepherd. We are people in the hand of the Almighty God. What wondrous grace. Lord, a wondrous grace that is worthy of full acceptance and is worthy of devoted response a life of devotion, a life given as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing and acceptable to you. Lord, you do not look lightly upon arrogance and pride, but to the humble in heart you give a great grace. Lord, I pray by the power of your Spirit that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are humbled and ready and eager to apply the truth that is before us today. Lord, for what place do we have to be prideful? For we are but sinners saved by grace. Lord, would you write your word upon our hearts? I ask that your Spirit would enlighten and illuminate our minds. Lord, with a topic like this, the applications can be so broad. Pray that your Spirit would help us each individually, but also us corporately as a body to take and to apply these truths. Grant us to examine ourselves, to put away sin. And to walk by the Spirit. Lord, would you glorify yourself among your people today? Would you make much of Christ the the great example of godly humility? Would you make much of Christ among us? And would you receive all praise and honor and glory from all that we say and all that we think and all that we do? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we look at the text today, um, you guys may know that I have a deep and a driving passion when it comes to studying Scripture, when it comes to teaching and preaching Scripture, to follow the paragraphs as we have them in the English Bible. Because we study Scripture according to trying to drive down to the ultimate thought, the ultimate idea, and a paragraph is a unit of thought. And so my preference is always to have clean breaks at paragraphs, but that's not the case today. In in Peter's writing here, there's a little bit of a linguistic hint that helps us transition from the instruction to elders to the outworking of that and the instructions that he has to the church. If you think back to chapter 3 of this letter, you can kind of pick up On that hint at the beginning of chapter 3 verse 1 Peter says in the same way you wives and then he goes on to instruct the wives dropping down to verse 7 of that same chapter he says you husbands in the same way and then he gives instruction to the husbands and so what we see is he uses that word in the same way that phrase to transition from the end of chapter 2 where he was instructing about masters and slaves to shift to instructing wives. Then he uses the same phrase in verse 7, to shift from wives to husbands. Well, if we were to look at 1 Peter 5, verse 5, in the original Greek, that word likewise is the same Greek term, as in the same way. So Peter is indicating there in the original language that he's shifting his audience. He's moving from instructing elders to instructing a new audience, to instructing the church as to the outworking of how we live under the authority of elders, but also just how we live the Christian life in general. So he says, You younger men, likewise, go and do this. Church, you go and do this as an outworking of verses 1 through 4. So, what is his instruction? What is Peter going to write about? I've already mentioned it. He's writing about humility. About the call to humble yourself under the hand of God. To be humble in your relationship with your fellow believers. To be humble in the church. To be humble, as we'll get to at the end, in your fight and your battle against sin and Satan. Because Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So there's those kind of three areas. You're humble in regard to your fellow saints, you're humble in regard to the Lord, and you're humble in regard to your battle against sin. So what is Peter's chief instruction here? How how do we break this down into a single sentence to kind of gear and orient what we want to study today? Peter tells us to arm ourselves with a humble spirit so that the grace of God will cause you to stand firm against the attacks of Satan. Arm yourselves. Uh, that, that military idea. Take up your weapons. Take up the weapon of humility because when you walk in humility, God's grace is with you. His grace will cause you to stand firm and to resist the attacks of the evil one and so this humility is evident in those three spheres of living regards to others regards to the Lord and regards to Satan now before we dive into the text the one primary thing that we must think about we must understand and then you will have to work hard we will have to work hard to keep this primary in our mind as we work through the text And that is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect example of humility. Jesus Christ is the standard of humility. So as we talk about humility and how it works itself out in our lives, we must always do that with the understanding that Christ is the goal. Not only is he the goal, but he is the the standard. Christ is the standard. He sets the example for how we fight against temptation, how we fight against Satan. Think about what he did in the wilderness. When Satan came to tempt him, Jesus showed humility because he responded not in his own strength, but he responded with the truth of the word of God. That was how he fought sin. That's how he fought the temptation to sin, not sin because Jesus didn't sin. That's how he fought the temptations that Satan brought, by quoting the word of God. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, didn't respond in his own strength. He showed the humility in which we must walk, after which we must strive, by responding to temptation, by quoting scripture. So striving for humility means that we strive for Christ likeness. You could turn that around too to strive for Christ likeness is to follow his example in humility. So again, I just I want you to hold on to that because if we don't hold on to that as we work through the text, then we miss the whole point. If we're just striving after some some human idea of humility, what we think humility is, we miss the whole point. The whole point is Christ was humble Christ humbled himself, he leaves us an example, and we follow after him. We look to him as the standard and the example of humility, and we look to him as the standard and example of humility in every aspect. Every aspect of humility, Christ is chief. So let's look at the text. Verse 5, we begin with the idea of humility towards others. Peter says you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble so I find this interesting I find it intriguing but I also find it very reasonable that as Paul as Peter shifts to this idea of humility he begins with a specific category of people younger men Younger men, be subject to your elders. Now, we might could try to circle around that and say that he's talking about younger men submitting to older men, but that really doesn't fit the context because clearly he's talking about shepherds, about pastors, about the office of elder. And so he begins by saying, young men, young men, be subject, be submissive to your elders, be humble before your elders and really you think about that and you say why only young men but really the idea is not too far-fetched is it if you have been around a young man for very long you understand what peter is getting at because youthfulness breeds pride especially in the church especially among young reformed men You have this growing knowledge this growing understanding of these great doctrines of grace the doctrine of god and his sovereignty and election and as a young man what does that knowledge do it puffs up it it breeds pride but hear me dear friends to say that it's not only young men that fight that fight you might be an older woman You might be an older man, you might be a young woman, you might be a child. Knowledge of the truth, if not rightly applied, if not rightly understood with a humble heart, what it breeds is pride. And pride will consume you. It will destroy your life if you let it. So it's no accident that Peter points specifically to young men because assuredly in his day... That same struggle was prevalent. The young men obviously needed some instruction. They needed some prodding to be humble and to be subject to the leaders that God ordained to be over them. Cavan would say, very bluntly, that the age of youth is inconstant and requires a bridle. And so you say, what, what does it mean to be young or a youth? Well, I would say let's just kind of set that to the side and just understand that we all can struggle with being inconstant. We, we struggle with consistency. We always need a bridle. The bridle that we have is the Spirit of God who reveals Himself and who reveals God's will to us through the Holy Scriptures. So we must fight against that inconsistency. We must bridle ourselves with the word of God and living and walking according to the Spirit of God. I also want to make a note here because we must be careful with this. We've just set up young men basically to, to be very troublesome, to struggle with pride, maybe more than anyone else does. But let's understand, dear friends, that zeal, that zeal and righteousness. And zeal for the truth does not necessarily equal an unsubmissive heart. Zeal does not necessarily indicate a prideful heart. It certainly can. One who is prideful will appear very zealous at times, but we must guard against making assumptions against the heart of a fellow saint just because they have a great passion. On the flip side of that, we can also say that Quietness and humility are not always the same thing. Someone who does not have much to say is not always a humble person. Now, they very well may be, and we should not assume the worst of someone. But just because someone is quiet does not necessarily mean that they are humbled before the Lord. But humility is critically important to the life and the health of of a church. You think back to what we looked at last week that and, and understand that this exhortation applies to, to all of us. We all must be humble within the life and the ministry and the outworking of the local church, for we do not serve the Lord well if we do not subject and submit ourselves to our elders. Likewise, elders do not do any favor. They do not help the church at all if they rule with an iron-fisted authority. Neither of those is the Lord's design for the church. So Peter says, young men, be subject to your elders. And then he broadens it out. He brings the rest of the church in. He says, and all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another clothe yourselves with humility and this is one of those times when getting into the original language a little bit will help paint a picture to understand the culture of Peter's day will help paint a picture of really what is he saying again we want to get to his original intent how his original audience would have heard this and so when he writes to clothe yourselves what he's talking about is tying or knotting two things together so tie or knot to yourself the character trait the character attribute of humility tie to yourself humility specifically to your fellow saints and we can go even deeper than just that meaning back in peter's day those who were were slaves or servants would often tie a white piece of cloth to their outer garments, or to their belt, to indicate that they were a slave. To clearly display that they were a slave, they would clothe themselves in a specific way. Thayer's Dictionary then concludes that we must gird ourselves with humilities as our servile garb. He said we must do this by putting on humility to show your subjection to one another. Clearly display your humility and your subjection to your fellow saint by your outward behavior. Show yourself to be humble by the way that you live, by the way that you interact. Plainly, clearly, like someone with a white cloth tied to their shirt, plainly and clearly display your subjection. In this world... In this age, humility really has the exact opposite effect uh, of gaining favor and blessing. If you walk in humility before the world, you will probably be trampled on. If you do so in the workplace, very likely you might be passed up for a promotion. If, if you do so just outside of, of the spiritual realm and the walk with your fellow saints, it may not work out for you. But Peter says, Loathe yourselves. Plainly show and display your humble heart. This is the Lord's will. This is the Lord's instruction for the Christian to walk in humility. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2, Do nothing, repeat that, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. So how do you be humble? You do nothing. That means zero, not anything. Not you do a little bit looking out for yourself. You do nothing out of selfishness. You do nothing for your own personal gain but you always look out for the interest of your brother or sister in christ you always regard one another as more important as of greater value you put others ahead of yourself you may know philippians 2 from heart what peter what paul then goes on to write there is he tells you to take upon yourself the mind of christ take upon the mind of christ who considered himself of no value. He laid aside the privileges of his deity to take on human form, to come to his creation. He came and learned obedience. He humbled himself in learning obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is humility in action. Humility in action is laying aside privilege laying aside what might rightfully be yours in order to serve and sacrifice yourself for another. Be like Christ. Be like Christ. Lay aside any privilege, any right, anything that you might could consider your own. Lay it aside so that you might serve a fellow saint that you might serve a brother or sister in Christ. Put on humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Bind yourselves in subjection to one another with a humble heart. Now, I mentioned, I think, and when I was praying, how hard it can be to apply the idea of humility in a, in a room full of people because what you might need to do to be more humble is going to vary from person to person to person. So let me ask a question, and then we can all dwell upon this question and ask the Spirit of the Lord to take and apply this in our lives. How are you actively striving to clothe yourself with humility toward your fellow saints? Not what is something you might should try to do, but how are you actively actively striving to put on humility today in regard to your fellow saints think about that question i've had that question i've read this question in my notes all week and and it can be a little troubling to think what have i done today to try to be more humble to try to think of another person above myself Humility does not come with passivity. You must actively strive to be more humble. That almost seems like a contradiction because to be humble is to think of yourself less. But you must actively strive because our default is to put ourselves on the pedestal, to put ourselves on the throne. So how are you actively striving to love with a humble and genuine love one another. Peter continues on. I guess we could continue here, but Peter continues on. He says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Just think about that. God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, I think Peter might have had a couple Old Testament passages of Scripture in his mind here. There's one that looks like a pretty direct quote, and there's another that applies and fits real well. Psalm 138, verse 6. This is King David. He said, For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs chapter three verse thirty-four. It says, "Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted." He's opposed to the scoffers. He is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so, just think about the outworking of that. He is opposed to the proud. If you walk in pride, if if you go from here and in the hardness of your heart you say. I don't need any more of this humility thing. God is opposed to you. He will directly oppose the hardness of your heart. He will oppose all that you do. You may not see it. You may not know it or recognize it. But God is opposed to you if you live and walk in pride. There are few things that the Lord hates more than an arrogant heart. There are few things more damaging to the health and the life of the local church than people who are arrogant and self-consumed or who are filled with spiritual pride. There are few things more damaging to the church than people who are filled with spiritual pride. must remember, humility finds its root and thinking of others more often and more highly than yourself and so a humble person is a teachable person because you think of others more highly you you give value to the thoughts and to the opinions of others not because you think highly of the thoughts and the opinions of man but because if you're dealing with a fellow saint You think highly of the work that the Spirit may do in them and how the Spirit might work in your own life through that brother or sister. A humble person is teachable, teachable. We must be teachable people, teachable not according to the philosophies of men, but according to the authority of the Word of God. As followers of Christ, we're called to be devoted to one another in love. Being prideful, being self-consumed is the exact opposite of being devoted to one another in love. So Pursue your own selfish desires through self-promotion, through self-advancement, or, or through putting others down or any other method. Pursue those things and the Lord will oppose you. But pursue the biblical best, the best biblical interest for another, and you will know the Lord's grace. He will be near to you. You will know his presence because he gives grace to the humble. So moving into verse 6, and we get to this idea of humility towards God. Humility towards God, verses six and seven. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. So humility toward others is this idea of of thinking less of yourselves and more highly of others. The same concept when it comes to to being humble before God but humility towards others and humility towards God are completely different levels of extremes because God is in the heavens he is exalted he is the creator the sustainer the sovereign the almighty to humble ourselves under the hand of God I think can be illustrated by the idea uh, of a mountain being brought low, And I can explain that. Luke chapter 3 verse 5. Luke is writing of John the Baptist coming. He quotes from the book of Isaiah and this is what he has to say. Speaking of John the Baptist, the, he will be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. To be brought low is the same Greek word as humility. So humility towards the Lord is that idea of the greatest and highest mountain peaks being completely flattened, being completely brought low. If you want an image to to help you think through, to illustrate this idea, it's that. A hill being flattened, a mountain being crumbled to the ground that is humility we crumble flat to the ground before the almighty god and we do that exactly because god is indeed mighty therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god the mighty hand of god what is the mighty hand of god we can we can think about that from the Old Testament. Think about the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 32, the, Moses is before the Lord. He is pleading on behalf of the people after they have created this golden calf to worship. Moses goes before the Lord to plead on behalf of the people. And this is what Moses has to say. He reminds the Lord of his great work when the Lord brought out his people from the land of Egypt with his great... And mighty hand. The powerful and great and mighty hand of God is the hand that can turn the hearts of kings and pharaohs and governors and presidents and all forms of wicked people. That is the mighty hand of God. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes that is the hand of god the hand that turns the heart of pharaohs and kings and rulers and peter says humble yourself under that mighty hand that is the one before whom we must be humble then there's a promise of god i find this so interesting that peter includes this it's interesting but it happens throughout scripture as well but there's a promise Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So when you humble yourself under the hand of God, there comes the promise of future exaltation because there's a proper time for the saints to be exalted. And I'll give you a hint, it's not in this life. We don't pursue humility because we want to be exalted. That is an oxymoron. That does not go together. We pursue humility because the Lord is worthy of His people walking in humility of heart before Him. But you do so with the Lord's promise. Christ said that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what is this exaltation? We need to look no further than than two verses prior. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is the exaltation that comes in Peter's context to the elders to whom he is writing, but to every saint who walks with Christ you receive an unfading crown of glory. You will be exalted at the proper time, but that proper time is not today. It is not in this life. You might be honored. The Lord might choose to bless you in this life, but the exaltation that Peter is writing of is the crown of glory that comes when the chief shepherd appears, when Christ comes back, And brings all of his saints together to be with him in glory. Then you receive an unfading crown. Because if you were exalted today, if you were exalted in this life, surely then you will be in a lifelong battle against your flesh to make much of yourself. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you at the proper time. The proper time. God knows. God chooses that proper time. Now we come, there's an outworking, and again, I think it's fascinating to see how the Lord works through the Spirit, through the mind of Peter, to bring this outworking of humility before God. Verse 7 says, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That is how we live humbly before the Lord. We cast all of our cares And all of our anxieties and all of our fears upon him. And knowing that we have many among us who are walking, who have walked, who will walk through difficult circumstances that can certainly breed anxiety. Want to handle this carefully. But we want to see what's in the scriptures. Anxiety fear about circumstances is pride towards God. It is sin before the Lord. Anxiety rejects the things of the Lord, like His promises, His faithfulness, His past faithfulness, His promise to future faithfulness, and anxiety rejects the sovereignty of God. Now, I understand that that may not be our heart in being anxious but that is what being when you're ruled by anxiety that is what you're doing you're you're not trusting in the sovereign hand of the lord it shows a lack of trust in god and his sufficient grace and his morning by morning mercies Uncontrolled anxiety, plainly and bluntly, is sinful. Paul writes in Philippians 4.6, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. MacArthur would say that worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God. Dear saints, may we be humble before God the lord and we cast our anxiety upon him now of course there is reasonableness to think and to plan and to contemplate and and to think through your situations and, and understand that they may go one way or another way there are good outcomes and there are bad outcomes but we must not let us drive that let that drive us to uncontrolled anxiety Why do we cast all of our anxieties upon the Lord, the text tells us? Because He cares for you. You trust the Lord because He cares for you. He works all things together, all things together for the good of those who love Him, those who are called according to His purpose. When has the Lord ever proven to be unfaithful? Surely He has not. You may walk through dark, stormy times, but God is faithful to His people, and He is faithful to His promises. We must strive to have the heart of Job. In Job 2.10, He said to His wife, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Shall we take the good but not take the difficult? And we cast our anxiety upon the Lord not because we don't think bad things will come, but because we know His grace is sufficient and His power is perfected in our weakness. We say with the psalmist in Psalm 94, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. When anxious thoughts multiply, do the consolations, the comforts, the promises, the faithfulness of the Lord, do they delight your soul? Because they should. Because God is good and because God is faithful. And we need to hold on to that idea as we move into verses 8 and 9 to the final heading here of humility towards Satan. So humility towards others. Humility towards God and humility towards Satan. Look at verse 8 and the first part of verse 9. Peter writes, be sober, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. And we'll stop there and we'll kind of pick up all of verse 9 as we push forward, Lord willing, next week. But we'll stop right there for today. So humility has many applications. Okay, we're not done. This is not the summary yet. We still have a whole point. Okay, humility has many applications. It's lowliness of mind towards your fellow saints. It is humility and lowliness of heart in regards to the Lord. And then there's this idea of of understanding the flesh that remains with you, attached to you, in you, however you want to put that, that you must fight. That flesh that you must battle, the temptations that Satan will bring because you are not yet glorified, that requires a sober humility. A sober humility. You say that this all then flows from a proper view of God, Proper view of self, a proper view of others, and a proper view of our adversary—a proper view of remaining sin. So, what does Peter say? He says we're to be of sober spirit, we're to be on the alert, we're to resist the devil, and we're to be firm in our faith. And so, you got those four charges, and sandwiched right in the middle. Is this terrifying and sobering statement? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is why we must be humble towards Satan because he is an adversary, he is an enemy, he is an accuser, he is an opponent. He is one who makes war against the people of God. He makes war against you. He's not only an enemy, but he seeks to devour you. It's not enough for Satan just to push forward his cause of amassing power to himself, but he wants to see the saints of God destroyed and devoured and ruined. That's the adversary that we fight. That's the adversary that we resist and how this should be a sobering picture to us. He's a roaring lion, Uh, a lion that is on the prowl. He's in the tall brush watching his prey, waiting for the exact right time to pounce and have his next meal. If you've ever seen a a lion, a full-grown lion in person, you should have that picture of this massive enemy ready to devour a field mouse. Something that is utterly powerless against that enemy. But, dear friends, remember Satan is a strong and powerful lion who is in submission to the Lord God Almighty. He can go as far as the Lord allows and no further. You're delivered from his power, you are delivered from his dominion when you are alive in Christ. So that's our enemy. What's the charge then? How do we live actively in humility as we think about that enemy? Again, there's four things Peter says. We have a sober spirit, an alert mind, a resisting heart, and a firm faith. You have a sober spirit. You are calm. You are temperate. You are circumspect. You are not driven by your emotions. That's what it means to be sober spirit. You're not driven by your emotions. Paul told Timothy in some of his last words of 2 Timothy to be sober in all things, to endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Be sober. And fulfill your ministry. Be circumspect. Be temperate. Do not be driven by your emotions. And fulfill the ministry the Lord entrust to you. The Lord has a work marked out for each of his people. And if you're not of sober spirit, you cannot accomplish that task. Be of sober spirit and fulfill your ministry. Be on the alert, Peter continues. Be watchful be awake, have a cautious attention towards Satan, give strict and pointed and devoted attention to who your enemy is and how he will attack you. This is a defensive alertness in a way, but the way that you play this defense is to go on offense, and you go on offense by looking to your Savior and looking hopefully to His return. You're awake and you're watchful, and what you're watching for is, yes, the plans and and the attacks of the enemy, but you're alert and you're watchful with your gaze fixed upon Christ and the day that he will rend the heavens and return and draw all of his church to himself. You fix your eyes upon the Savior. You take the fight to the evil one. You're watchful and alert, but you take the fight to the evil one. You fight spiritual battles with the spiritual weapons and in the spiritual strength that the Lord supplies. You take up the shield of faith and you take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and you run into battle. You follow your king, the Lord Jesus Christ, into battle with the sword and the shield that he gives you, and you make war. You go on the offensive. You gird yourself. You have your head on a swivel. And you take the fight to Satan. So you're a sober spirit. You have an alert mind. And then you must have a resisting heart. You must resist. You must have your feet firmly planted, unwilling to budge an inch. You plant your feet, you plant the flag of Christ, and you do not move. You plant your feet, and you plant the word of God, and you do not budge when the attacks come. Make war. You're a sober spirit, you're on the alert, you resist the devil, and then you remain firm in your Remain firm, knowing that this is not a short or passing or fleeting battle. It is in the sense of eternity, but you will battle Satan for the rest of your earthly life. Fight for your spiritual life with a firm faith. Make war against sin. Take extreme steps against sin because Satan is a roaring lion and he is going to take extreme steps in his attack against you. Have a firm, fixed faith. Think about the context of Peter's letter. How is Satan going to attack us? Through suffering. Through the fear of persecution. Through the fear of what's going to happen if we stand upon the truth. What legal issues might we run into? What persecutions will we face? And what does Peter say? Stand firm. Remain. Don't budge an inch. Look for and long for your future glory. You must fight. You must remain. You must be sober. You must be alert. You must resist the prowling line and you must stand firm. It's a lot of you must. Let me add one more. You must fight this battle from the ultimate position of humility. You fight the battle against Satan on your knees. You don't fight in the strength that you can muster. You fight in the strength that God supplies. Fighting against Satan in your own strength, you can. You may last for a little while, but you will not win. Not in your own strength. You will fall. You will fail. Your fall will be great, and it will be quick, and it will be ugly, because Satan wants to devour you. I say, fight with a humble spirit. Clothe yourselves in humility toward your fellow saints. Be humble before the Lord and fight Satan in humility. Paul would say in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. Then the very next verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, he says, let all that you do be done in love. You love the Lord. You love others. You're clothed in humility. And then you be strong. You stand firm. You be strong in the strength of God's might and His power, and you go out and you fight. You go out and you proclaim the gospel. You go out and submit to God's word. And you go out and walk by the Spirit for the glory of God. So, dear friends, may we be a sober spirit. May we be on the alert. May we resist Satan being firm in our faith. May we do all those things as we live and walk and strive to grow in humility. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Mighty hand it is indeed. And we do that looking to the future hope. We do that looking to the promise That as we humble ourselves under his hand, he will exalt us at the proper time. He will call us to his glory where we receive the unfading crown of glory, where we rule and reign with Jesus Christ forever and ever. So may we be steadfast and immovable. And always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that as we work for the Lord, our our toil and our striving is not in vain. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit for the sake of God's glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask you to write your word upon our hearts. Lord Pride can be such a, a fickle thing and can be such a fickle sin that can be so deeply hidden in our hearts. We pray that you would root out every bit of it, that we would grow, that we would strive after humility. that we would lovingly humble ourselves toward one another, and as we battle against our adversary and ultimately, under your almighty hand. Lord, would you give us strength in this fight? Would you point our eyes to Christ, the ultimate example in this humility, the ultimate example and standard in all things that are good and right? Lord, would you turn our eyes upon Jesus? Would you be glorified among your people and write your word upon our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.